Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's guest is uh, Pascal Ugly, um, found on Twitter at uh, Poiheg. Uh, I'll, let, I'll put that in the show notes for you. Um, he is the author of the book, uh, Ignore at Your Own Risk, which is a book um, very much based around Bitcoin. And, you know, he wrote this um, like uh, one or two years ago, and he's still at you know, at this point, only 28 or 29. So when he reached out to me on Twitter to say, you know, he's enjoying the show and enjoying the guests and he'd written a book and would I mind checking it out and, you know, running my eye across it, we jumped on a call and we got to know each other a little bit. And I was just super impressed with this young man um, and what he's doing, you know, financial journalism at such a young age, had a uh, really uh, rounded knowledge on um, both sides of the economic coin. And... I thought, man, like, you know, we've we've got to showcase uh, as many people as we can that are doing, you know, especially the young guys that are doing a lot of work around this. So I invited him to come on the show. Um, he's done a few pods before, but um, not that many. So uh, it was nice to get somebody as well outside of the um, the usual field of uh, of names that, that pop up on, on the podcast, merry-go-round. So I hope you enjoy this one. Uh, it was great. Um, we, we got um, into some uh, really interesting topics, and as always, uh, you know, I, I just feel privileged to to meet these people and uh, to do this kind of thing. So, thanks for listening. Uh, before we get into it, don't forget if you're UK based, big shout out to uh, at Obi on um, on Twitter at Obi, who's also been on the show. Really impressed with Coinfloor and what they're doing for the UK market, DCA market or the SCA market, sterling cost average your way into uh, into Bitcoin with very small weekly or daily auto buys. What I love about these guys is they're listening to the market. A guy reached out to me on Twitter recently and said that the fees are too high. There's just like, you know, there's no reason for me to, to leave my existing, I don't even want to say the company, um, provider. I passed that knowledge on to Obi. Within half a day, it was fixed new fees, new minimums. Like you can, you can like do, I think the minimum now is 50p, 50p you can do daily into, uh, into Bitcoin. I mean, that's, this is like, there's no excuse now. None. Just start guys, start. Coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten. And, um, you know, just, just hold the excuses now. Check the excuses at the door and let's get on with this. Have um, have a great day. I hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, thanks so much for listening. As always, thank you. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. With me today is Pascal Ugly. Is that how I'm pronouncing it, Pascal? Yes, yes, that's that's about right. Exactly. Hugli. Hugli. Excellent. Yes. Thank you. Author of the book, Ignore at Your Own Risk and um, a writer for uh, the financial media um well, they are just called Financial Media, is that correct? Yes, exactly. That's the name of the company. Excellent. Thank you. And um, he's joining us today to talk about the book and talk about all things uh, Bitcoin and what's going on in Switzerland. 
because they have been um, named for the last few years the um, the crypto nation. So I want to get uh, an insider's look at that and uh, get into some of his writing and some of um, Pascal's work, which uh, I urge you to check out. But as always, I have a little co-host with me who wants to um, ask the first question of Pascal. So after you, Lauren. Does all of your friends have Bitcoin? All of my friends? That's a good question. Not yet, I guess. Uh, I haven't uh, convinced them all yet. I'm still trying to and working on it, but it's uh, it's been doing good. My more and more friends uh, have been coming up to me lately and asking me about Bitcoin and they're wanting, willing to invest. So I'll, I'll try to get them into the world and uh, yeah, I hope I can work on that. Do, do you have any Bitcoins already? Yeah, I have a bit. Uh, yeah, great, great. Yeah, well, you're still young, so you can definitely still work on it. And uh, we're all working on it to get more Bitcoin every day. <laughs> That's the idea, isn't it? Yeah. Just is. a little yeah. bit whenever we can. Yes, exactly. Do you have any more questions or is that? No. No, that was a good enough answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Do you want to say uh, goodbye? Bye. Bye, Lauren. Bye. Nice yeah. meeting you. Yes, nice meeting you too. Great. Thanks, Pascal. Um, definitely a goal of mine to um, to get the kids learning more and more about Bitcoin. And um, so, like, w- was that part of the reason you wrote the book to try and inspire some friends, family, as many other people as possible? What What was kind of the thinking behind that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like two wise, you know. Uh, for one, it was certainly like uh, to really explain to people what the whole thing is about. Because yeah, I've been really. Uh, diving into it for quite some time, you know, and uh, it's always like there's really this self-interest and, and and this is really what got me also into the whole rabbit hole, you know, and why I started learning about that because I found it so interesting and I still uh, find it to be very interesting, you know, uh, but that's some um, part of my life, you know, I, I also started talking to other people about it all the time. You know, we all know these stories that like family gatherings and stuff. You people ask you what you're up to, uh, what are you doing, and you're you're starting to talk about Bitcoin, and they're like, okay, what's what's that? You know, and then yeah, I started writing these articles for financial media where we touched on Bitcoin and blockchain, and you named already the the whole crypto nation thing. You know, and then at some point, I had friends coming up to me and and telling me dude, now that you have such a great uh, insight into all these topics and you've been really dealing with them in depth, um, can you maybe you write a book and, and we that we can then just kind of easily digest? And I was like, okay, I've never written a book and I, I don't plan on doing this. But then I also met this other guy, which is my neighbor. Uh, he's Korean, Yong Han. He's one of my co-authors and, and, and he found the idea very interesting. And then we teamed up and this is why we then started, you know, and we found this other guy, the third in in our team, you know, who started drawing. Uh, and then we had this really good team. And uh, that's why we all started. And yeah, really with the goal of then like educating people after all, because that's what I like, you know, trying to do education. So what pulled you in in the first place? What well, led you down that hole of no return? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I, I've, I've always been like, uh, I've grown up in a family which is rather conservative, you know, who's really like, uh, yeah, maybe I would say on the right wing when it comes to politics, you know, and, and, and you're really like just trying to 
be skeptical of uh, things the government does, especially also when it comes to money sometimes, you know, and, and all other things. That, so I was really brought up in, in, in this atmosphere and this uh, uh, surroundings, you know. Uh, so I, I really had this inclination to go look for, for economic theories and stuff that would explain maybe something that's contrary to what I've learned at school, you know, at university also where I studied economics and politics, you know. And uh, there I stumbled across uh, the Austrian School of Economics, you know, pretty early in my in my uh, university years. And I found this very, very interesting because that's something I've actually never heard uh, during my lectures. You know, it was a complete new world of, of trying to explain economics and then uh, how, when I discovered also trying to explain the world, you know. And I had this really, um, this really one great experience or, or incident where I met or where I went up to my teacher uh, at that time, you know, my university teacher, you know, or professor, and I asked him, have you ever heard of Ludwig von Mises? And, and he was like, no, I haven't, you know. And he was a... Uh, an economics teacher of history and uh, economic history. And I was really perplexed that he had never really heard of a guy that I read online as one of the the most uh, influential um, economists of his time, you know. So this really got me starting, you know, always trying if, if something is like a hidden gem, there needs to be something, there needs to be something to it. So I really started educating myself and got ever deeper into the whole of Austrian economics, you know, went into the whole anarcho-capitalist uh, environment that we now know. And uh, yeah, this is at some point where I also discovered Bitcoin, you know, and I found this then very interesting. And, and at first I was really skeptical, like many other people, you know, and I was like, okay, what's this? And then really, uh, yeah, it kept coming back to me, you know, as with so many other people, you know, you kept on hearing about it. And then I started studying it. And the more you studied it, the more you saw, hey, this is really something, you know, and uh, yeah, so I got into this from having already this background in Austrian economics, you know, I would, would argue. So when you raised, I'm trying to picture you now, like entering the lecture or putting your hand up or having a one-to-one -one with your, your professor and, and raising this, this whole new side of economic theory, as far as he's concerned, did he delve into it himself, do you know? Or was it like, you know, whatever, just stick to the curriculum. This is what I've got to teach. And this I've got to get these guys the grades they need in like the material I have to give them. Yeah, well, I never actually contacted him again. I should have maybe at some point and tell him about everything because, yeah, this was also really at the beginning when I started to dig into it ever deeper, you know. But I would suppose that he, uh, I don't know. I mean, now I'm speculating, but uh, from what I've known, uh, talking to other teachers, from, from my experiencing of learning, uh, how how the system, if you want to call it system, but how it works, I would say he's probably never really had the time to dig into this, you know, because these guys and and I, I mean they're really clever and intelligent, and I when it comes to their field, I will I stand no chance against them, you know. But I mean nowadays, uh, what really like fascinates me that so many people at university, especially professors. Uh, they know so much of so little, you know, and they know ever more until they don't know anything anymore, you know, uh, it's kind of hard to say that. But I mean, they're really in their field of expertise, but then they don't have a macro view of things. And, and this is what I really liked about uh, uh, about the, the whole Austrian thing, you know, that is trying, it's an approach to trying 
to understand the world, you know, and not just your field of expertise, not just something that you can make business with, that you can earn your money on, but it's more like also trying to, to look for knowledge and for insights into the world, which is uh, at times, uh, oftentimes it's really uncomfortable, you know, uh, like uh, getting to the knowledge, getting to the things of things is not really what gets you further in life often also, you know, because the world doesn't really work like that. That's what I've been experiencing, you know, there's so much self-deception and people just don't want to know things how they actually are because it's in their way at some point, you know, and so it's really an endeavor that you, that you um, have to, feel intrinsically otherwise uh, you don't really see the benefits of this of this you know and this is also why i then figured out okay at, at that university i'm probably never really going to learn about such things because it's just not it's just not fitting the context you know uh, you're there to really develop skills that you can use in your business life in your in your life where you have to earn money and and with with austrian economics is more about uh, something to understand the world that might help you at some point and i would argue it helped me to understand bitcoin better and then also invest in it and to be now at that point where i am but still you know um i mean that's something you really have to intrinsically want otherwise uh, you don't really see the benefit and this is why i would argue many professors nowadays they still can't understand it because they're just like um there's no use to it there's no it doesn't make sense you know and uh, yeah so this is actually kind of sad but i think it that's just how it works back then or and still in university man and you've got this all figured out at 29 this is this is nuts. <laughs> this is this is amazing. Um, you know, to be so young and to have that rounded a picture, I think um, you're studying economics and politics and fall down the Austrian rabbit hole, um, which challenges both, right, pretty hard. Um, mm. Were you ever sitting in classes thinking, like, this is all just BS, what, what we're being taught? Or was it all kind of, wow, this has given me such a rounded picture that I'm appreciating both sides of what I'm getting. Yeah, first, when I really started like uh, university, I found it interesting, you know, there was so much that I thought, hey, cool, I want to know more about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't have studied that, you know, I wouldn't have started studying it. When I then discovered this Austrian economics and I found this completely different theory, I was like, okay, now um, I kind of maybe also overstepped you know i was like really okay now everything that the austrians teach and everything is just the the correct answer to everything and and i'll just have to study this and i can ever leave everything behind and then maybe two years down this road i also recognized well the world is not so easy there is probably not one theory that explains everything not not austrians they haven't figured it, it all out it's not that you can just it's not like a recipe that you can follow and you will really be uh, enlightened and know everything about the world sometimes uh, even in this school maybe many uh, bad things have been thought you know and, and they are being uh, uh, perpetuated uh, in, in, into yeah in, into the future you know because uh, nobody challenged this thinking anymore so no I, when I was then sitting in, in university and especially after university I was really like um, happy that I had this uh, background as well as you said it, it gave me a, a more uh, balanced picture, more rounded up picture of the world, because I then knew how the opposite uh, people or how opposite thinking people would think about a subject. I could really like to 
feel how they would approach that, you know, and I could maybe then counteract it a little better. But at the same time, I could also challenge Austrians, you know, and say, hey, look, I know this theory as well. Um, uh, don't you see that point that they're making? I see some uh, relevance to this. And that also helped me then to to always like uh, be like the devil's advocate, you know, because that's what I started uh, to play. And, and and I think has me gotten where I am now, you know, and I also think which is really valuable, you know, if you, if you, I also, because at some point uh, people ask me, are you now a libertarian or what are you? And then at some point I said, no, I, I'm, I'm none of that, you know, when I'm among socialists, I'm trying to be a libertarian, you know, I try to really uh, challenge them in, in their thinking. But uh, when I then uh, hang out with all my Hayekian and Mises friends, you know, I'm trying to be more of a socialist and trying to, to challenge them in their thinking. And, and that gets you as a person further and further, you know, and uh, it's kind of hard at times because then you're always pushed in between. You don't really, nobody really wants to have you in this group because they're telling you, hey, man, um, um, yeah, you're not really you're not fitting into any category. So who are you siding with? Uh, but I think it's it's kind of uh, uncomfortable, but it gets you the farthest, you know, and that's what I've been doing also in the blockchain sphere. You know, I'm, I'm really sympathetic to the whole Bitcoin thing because I got this whole upbringing when it comes to Austrian economics. I understand monetary theorem, I would say, pretty well so i can really sympathize with that but at the same time i don't want to be a maximalist that only sees this you know i also want to challenge that position and, and say maybe there's another world and the world is more complex too and it's not all about this there's also more things that can come out of this and uh yeah that's what i've been trying to do you know yeah and it says something very similar to that fact in your bio which uh which i read on um on your website uh, you know, kind of like uh, trying to get this full rounded picture of what's going on, challenge the arguments, but be willing and perceptive to to listen at the same time and mm -hmm. uh, not accept any answer, I think, was what you um, what you actually wrote in your bio, which, you know, mm -hmm. I wanted to bring that up because that's very that's like like, you know, I get blown away all the time. The people I speak with and especially the real, you know, the, the younger guys than me. Um, if I had this kind of mind at 29 years of age, I God knows where, you know, it's taken me a long time to, to get this kind of knowledge. So we, we say in this space, you know, stay humble. And I get humbled every day when I speak to um, people like yourself. So it's, it's really, um, really interesting to hear. What a, you mentioned something there about when you're in different circles of friends and um, always challenging. <laughs> you probably get invited to a lot less parties than you even you know know are going on these days. Uh, I've fallen foul to to some of these conversations myself, but you know it is important to have these conversations, right? Um, but at the same time, you you're you're treading that kind of tightrope of being the conspiracist guy. Oh god, don't bring that guy along. Do, do you ever feel that? Yeah, I ever feel this too. I mean, especially when you're among people who don't really, they don't really think about stuff anymore. They're just taking everything for granted. They're just thinking we're living in the best of all worlds. Everything is fine. You know, you don't have to challenge anything. Um, and, and there's just uh, going along their way without really trying to think behind the things, you know, and really try to dig a little deeper, especially there. It's oftentimes if you, if you kind of, 
try to challenge the state in its existency or something, you know, they're like, okay, that guy needs to be, that, that's, that's someone from the underground, you know, exactly. It's a conspiracy theorist that just wants to bring everything down, that wants to destabilize society. And I can really also uh, sometimes, um, you know, um, comprehend this reaction, you know, because at, at, at some, or I would say, to some extent, it's true. I mean, somebody who's really challenging all the time, who's really wants to really um, challenge every dogma that's out there, is it's kind of like a destabilizing factor in a society, you know? As long as society somehow functions, and, and I would argue our society today, it functions still pretty well, especially in the Western point, especially in Switzerland, you know? I get this also, also this argument is also presented to me all the times you're into bitcoin and you're 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 also challenging switzerland but look at other people who live in venezuela or syria other places of the world they have it much worse than you and i'm like yeah I, it's, it's obviously true and i'm so thankful and grateful for being in switzerland but still i then would say like i don't want to stop challenging stuff because even the one-eyed king among all the blinds can go blind on his one eye that he still has because when he thinks he's all too seeing you know and then suddenly he ends up being blind as well and then so this is kind of my approach in switzerland also challenging things even though i think uh we're, we're really great good off you know but uh yeah this is certainly i have something this feeling that i sometimes uh, feel like i'm, I'm just uh, being put into this uh, drawer of, of, oh, that's a conspiracy theorist, you know, and then at the same time, again, you know, when I talk to people who are from this maybe conspiracy theorist um, part of, of the thinking world, they're more than like, okay, that's just a status, you know, you're just a socialist. And then it's just always this back and forth, you know, but I, 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 I do like it. I mean, that's, as I already said, how I can really sharpen my own thinking, you know. Yeah, and it's important, right? It's... um if no one's having these conversations, then then you're right. Nothing is being pushed forward, and it's it's a dicey business when you are challenging fixed mindsets. Yeah, and especially also here in the cryptosphere. I mean, there's so much tribal thinking, you know, and I can really also again um, understand why this is so. You know, I mean. Uh, oftentimes if there are no leaders and this is really what the world is about and I've also written this in my book you know because I think there's so much tribal thinking because like there is no maybe meta entity that you can refer to when it comes to states and nations you know there are these mega tribes you know but maybe these fictitious mega tribes that don't really exist you know but you can still cling to something you know and with blockchain there aren't you know it's 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 by definition about about decentralization as i write in my book i would rather call it non-centralization in the case of bitcoin because there is really no center you know with decentralization as in Switzerland, there is still a center. I mean, there's still the federal government, but it's just decentralized. But with Bitcoin, there is no center at all. So I would rather call it non-centralized. So, yeah, because there is really no such thing, you know, people then, because human beings are just naturally thinking like that. They want to group up with other people. They want to, they, sometimes I even have the feeling that we crave authority, you know. We want to we wanna crave and we want to really uh, look up to someone. And, and that's really uh, the person we all want to follow so again here in crypto you don't really have that this is probably why then the, the the group and the tribe as a whole becomes so important you know and then you have these infights between all the groups and yeah when you look at the world you just have to understand this you know i don't want to judge it because i think i i won't be ever able to change it it's just the way people function you know 
But uh, still, I find it kind of interesting that it's especially in the crypto sphere, so many people are fighting each other, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I find, you know, when, when you are challenging fixed mindsets that, you know, if people just like scratch that first layer and they see something they don't like, they don't like people. We don't like as human beings, me included, we don't like realizing we've been lied to or, or scammed or conned. You know, we we don't want that second car, second um, hand car dealer to get one over on us, let alone realize the whole system has somehow, you know, been weighted all the way to the top rather than uh, the bottom where most of us sit. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, and, and what I really like about that, you know, about the point that you're raising now is that, I mean, when I was back uh, really following all the Austrian stuff, you know, more on a theoretical uh, ground, you know, I usually uh, started this argument with people and I tried to convince them and I tried to bring up all the arguments. And then after we've discussed for like four hours or something, we all like, okay, what has changed now? And and still any, everybody had, was still sticking to their point. You know, nobody, nobody moved like a Yota away from what they were thinking. And I was like, okay, did I something wrong now? Or did I do, didn't do my best? You know, how could, what could I have done other or better, you know? And, and then actually at some point it also dawned on me, you know, that with, with explanation, with words, with language, even though it's really a tool to argue, it's probably never been made for this, you know, when you look at it from an evolutionary perspective. So I would say uh, it's not a tool to convince anybody, you know. So um, then you're kind of like, okay, um, yeah, it's just a fact probably because I've never really experienced this, that uh, somebody really changed their mind. But then again, I find it really interesting that we now have Bitcoin where you don't really have to argue for it, but it just argues for itself in the real life, you know, that people discover it at some point, you know, because I maybe have told them about Bitcoin, but I don't really want to argue for Bitcoin. I just want to lay out the different things, how it functions, and then maybe it sticks with people, but they don't really, they're not coming up to me, oh, now I you convinced me you know but maybe later in time they when they when when life really leads them to bitcoin because they struggle with something and they're like oh i heard something about that maybe take a look at it and then it really helps them you know in a practical way and that's what i think is so powerful about this alternative that we now have in bitcoin because it's this real thing that can really really in a real sense convince people you know because they at some point think hey, I can also be part of this and, and, and this convinces me more than any words could ever convince me, you know? And so this is also why I think it's so interesting that I can still do my part, but in the end, it's probably just the thing that, that does it, you know? As Marty, I think you already had him, had him on your podcast as well. He said, Bitcoin is going to change us more than we change Bitcoin. And I, fear, he, I think here it's the same, you know? Bitcoin is really the thing that changes people and not our words. <laughs> 100%. And it's, you know, I, I want to bring it back to what you said about non-centralization. I think that is such a key point. I've never heard that before said to me, explained to me, but it makes so much sense. And the analogy of Switzerland being a decentralized government with all the uh, the cantons, um, but non-centralization, that is exactly what it is. And this is the hardest point that I get stuck on trying to explain when people ask me about Bitcoin, you know, friends and family are bored of it now, but like um, fringe, fringe friends, fringe family, um, <laughs> my butcher the other day uh, in our best franglais, um, trying to explain to him 
it all comes back to this this point of non-centralization. The first thing is, you know, what do I get out of selling Bitcoin? It's like they think I work for company Bitcoin and I'm a salesman for company Bitcoin because this is what we're all so used to. This is this is the box that we are used to playing in, right? And that's okay. Well, what do you mean? There's no company? What do you mean? It's that it's just software and it was what do you mean there's no nobody knows who even invented it so hard yeah i did this is really hard and i think i've been experiencing this as well myself you know and in switzerland i would argue and again we at least have this concept of decentralization that many people around the world still lack you know i mean they have never really heard of a, of a decentralized government at all you know they all they know is really the centralized structure you know so it, in switzerland you can at least argue no there is there is this decentralization so we're already a step further you know i would then argue and as i do in my book you know it's not really the end of the spectrum because you know with with switzerland and because i'm coming out of switzerland i've studied uh, also history of switzerland and i'm when i talk about this non-centralized uh like term you know it's not a term that i coined it's a term that a, a swiss uh, historian coined you know which is not that famous but uh, he's called robert neff and he has really talked about this non-centralization because what he figured out is that switzerland always had this tension of uh, of being decentralized but because there was a central left yeah, you have this gravitational pull towards the center, you know. So although it, it is decentralized, and I would argue Switzerland is still more decentralized than many other countries, we still see this, like this uh, incremental push towards the center where the periphery and the decentralized part is getting, is, is getting, is getting hurt and cutting, cutting, or is just diminished ever more you know and so if you then look at it from a whole time perspective you know you could say hey switzerland started out as this really freedom country which is almost perfect uh, when it comes to freedom and protecting everyone and paying no taxes and then and, and because the federal government was always uh, short of money and couldn't pay for anything and uh, from a liberal perspective libertarian perspective this is the best if government cannot pay for stuff i mean it's that's paradise you know uh, but then you saw that this because there was still this central left they uh, amassed ever more power and they then kind of dragged Switzerland into an ever centralized or, or an ever more centralized version of Switzerland. And this is also what I then would say, yeah, it's, it's kind of like a slippery slope, you know. And this is why I think it's so important that Bitcoin doesn't have a center, so there can be no gravitational pull towards the center. And this is also why it's then so different from any uh, inherent political structure that we today know, you know. So if you could just explain to the listeners uh, exactly how like the uh, the government is set up in in Switzerland. I, I think I have a kind of a, a broad understanding of of the idea of it, but if I were to compare it to um to the UK for example, the UK is set up into different counties whether it's Essex, Kent, Surrey, Gloucestershire, whatever it, whatever, but it's still that they will have like local council members but they don't really have too much power. Um, and if you look at the states, you have obviously all of the different states, but still everything is top down from the White House. 
What, what's different in Switzerland? Well, I mean, I haven't really studied the UK system now in detail, so I think uh, there is not that much difference anymore. If you really, if you really um, like uh, nail it down to the the nitty gritty, because I think uh, as I just explained, Switzerland is going into this direction of centralization ever more. So I think you also have like the federal government, you know, who's really on top, and then you have all these cantons, and then you have the small municipalities. And it used to be that these like municipalities and villages and, and and cantons they really had their own uh, sovereignty you know they could and and they still at some on some levels really have you know when it comes to the school system when it comes to the health system sometimes they really have their own sovereignty and they can and also when it comes to taxing power and so they are actually the the, the entities that, that that decide for themselves how to go about and how to really uh, do the things you know uh, but uh, i mean with the direct democracy i mean we have been seeing that um, people started like initiatives and stuff where they always wanted to uh, put more um, control into the federal hands, you know, and this has been growing uh, exponentially, I would argue, you know, so that exactly these municipalities and cantons, they can be overruled by government, you know, because uh, by the federal government, because uh, I mean, Again, that's what we're seeing in 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 a, in, a, in the Bitcoin world as well. You know, decentralization by its core is also sometimes really inefficient. You know, because it's redundant, it's inefficient. You think, hey, why do we need um, twenty six different school? laws uh, if we could just have one you know uh, like imposed on us by the federal government uh, that it, uh, if every uh, canton can decide for it himself that doesn't really make sense you know so you have really have this pull towards uh, like really yeah uh, harmonizing everything ever more and so this is why i think uh, also again with political structure we've been seeing uh, yeah this gravitational pull towards the uh, government being ever more stronger in Switzerland. And also now with COVID-19, again, you were really seeing this, you know. I mean, I think uh, if we have, if we had this uh, like a, a couple of centuries ago, if the cantons had decided for themselves, everybody would have sticked to this because they knew that's the authority they want to follow. But now with COVID, what we saw is that some com- cantons actually started front-running the federal government and, and, and giving out direct, uh, like, uh, like, um, how would I say, law and order, you know, that they said this is what's going to happen in our canton and people, they didn't really accept this. They were waiting for the federal government to actually mandate something. And this also shows that people now, they're more inclined to follow what the federal government shows um, and not really what their canton mandates. And I would say this is not such a great uh, development if you're really trying to adhere to what the greater entity wants you to do and not what the subordinate one you know actually mandates so yeah Hmm. interesting i hope this i hope this makes sense yeah yeah i mean well it's uh, does any of it make sense (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a great question yeah yeah no, I, I, it's obviously, I mean, I studied politics, you know, and I was really eager, you know, to really understand the system. But at some point, I mean, there's always uh, like, uh, there's it's a spectrum and there's these discrepancies, you know, something. Uh, you always find like uh, little um, differences, you know, uh, also in between countries, also in between uh, cantons in Switzerland. But then when you look at it from a really uh, bird's eye perspective, I would argue 
nothing is really that different. You know, the political system in itself, as soon as there is like this decentralized, this really centralized power, there's just this ever greater gravitational pull towards more centralization. And then, yeah, I mean, it's still on a spectrum, but uh, from a from a fundamental perspective, you could say. Uh, we're just 10 years late, but 10 years later, we're going to be at that point where France is at now and, and, and other countries are just ahead of us, but we're getting there anyway. So why still fight it? You know, um, I mean, that's why many of our, my friends and, and, and me included, I mean, we kind of withdraw from politics, you know, because we think, hey, that's not going to, yeah, we can, it's fighting against like windmills, you know, it's not going to do any good. So this all, again, is also why then Bitcoin is so interesting because people say maybe this is our exit valve, you know, it's, it's really something that we can maybe still have, have a say and maybe you still change something with Bitcoin because in the political system, things are just too screwed up and uh, yeah, you can't really do a difference anymore, you know. And if we, yeah, I mean... Going all the way back to the start of the show and Lauren's question, mm. it gets me thinking around like your your generation and the generation you know just behind you. Um, it, this disenchantment with 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 politics. I mean, is that tangible? And if so, is Bitcoin the vote? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is it tangible? I don't know. Maybe in Switzerland, it, it, it really depends on your context. You know, I mean, also, I mean, you oftentimes hear that, well, millennials and I, I've done like an article on this as well, you know, and I think you already had, I don't remember his name, but you had a guy on your podcast that was also talking about this great article with the mimetic theory and the millennials, you know, these push factors for Bitcoin and yeah, but I'm not really sure if millennials are such a great push factor after all. You know, I mean, they, they've been grow, they they grow, they have grown up with the digital things. You know, but I mean, when I look at the digital word in itself, I mean, it's so opposite to Bitcoin, actually. You know, I think that the classical digital world is all about the one click app, which is so convenient, which gives you everything with one click. But I mean, concerning security, owning your own data, knowing who's doing what behind your back. Nobody cares, you know. So I think, again, even though sometimes every, everyone thinks, oh, millennials are all digital and they will all flock to Bitcoin. I'm not so sure about that because in the end they might say, okay, um, this is exactly the digital thing I don't want, you know. And I really feel this when we have our, our practitioner courses that we do on Bitcoin, you know. There we have like these courses with real, real newbies and we introduce them to Bitcoin and then we tell them, we, we try them to show how a hard wallet works, you know, and then we tell them you have to write down your seed phrase. And these people look at you and they're like, what? I need to write down a seed phrase? Uh, actually on physical paper and i'm like yeah do it on physical paper don't take a photograph of it because then it's somewhere out in the web and everybody can steal it and they're like scratching their head and saying well that doesn't make sense bitcoin is something digital and now i have to go back into the meat space and write something down that's completely bollocks you know and i'm like okay they still haven't understood that bitcoin is not only digital but it also has this other um like you know this other i would say world to it where where it's really about your self sovereignty and 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 your self 
responsibility also that comes with it, you know. So I think that's where we need to work on uh, in this sphere. And I think, again, it's not really the words that are really going to convince people, but actual stuff happening out in the real world where maybe your bank account gets wiped or something and you have no access anymore. And then you're starting to go out there and really look for alternatives. And then you might uh, stumble across Bitcoin. Maybe if you have heard about it, maybe two months ago, you discover it faster than others. But then, you know, you find, oh, what's the real value behind it? So I think it's kind of easy just to say millennials, yeah, they're, they're, they're already sold for Bitcoin. I don't think so. That's fascinating. And it's uh, Phil Bonello. The, uh, shout out to Phil Bonello yeah, who was on the show. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Brilliant, great, brilliant piece. Great article, um, yeah. Man, you just turned my world upside down with that. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, yeah, we're going to drive this. You know, we're all used to, like you said, but like, and this comes back to looking to both sides of the coin, right? Um, and probably stems from uh, your university days of being faced with like the, the mainstream uh, economics and the Austrian economics and trying to make sense of that somewhere in the middle. So you're right, though, because I look at my kids and it is all just click, click, click. Mm-hmm. it's going to feel so clunky and it is clunky we know it's clunky yeah uh, but i think uh, you know that's just again these two sides of the of the of the same metal you know there's always two sides to things you know and that's really what i sometimes i don't like if people just really uh, only focus on one thing and really uh, uh, like present something to be the the the, the, the solution to everything, you know, it's also again with this Bitcoin fixes this. I really do like this. And I think Bitcoin fixes so much because it's an alternative, you know, but then sometimes people just think, yeah, you only have to have Bitcoin and everything is just all right. And there again, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that the world is so easy and so just so simple, you know, that it just works that way. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that it really does fix stuff, you know, I, I wouldn't deny that, you know, but still, I mean, it really comes down to educate people, you know, because if you don't do this, I think people are just being put off by it, you know, or, or they're just like turned off, you know, they're like, okay, I, I, I try to look at this Bitcoin thing and they're coming at it with this expectation of something digital, of something really, you know, easy and, and, and then, uh, they're really not understanding it and then they're just leaving it behind, you know, and, and that's actually kind of bad, you know, and this is also then again what I try to do with my book, you know, uh, I want to look at all the positives and all the great things that come can come out of this and I really think that Bitcoin is going to change the world for better and, and, and really you know, in in a great in a great way, but I think there's also like the the negative parts to it, and just the challenges. Maybe it's not even negative, but just the challenges that we all need to face, and and the trade offs. You know, which are so important that I think in the crypto sphere, and also, I mean, world, uh, our entire lives are just about trade offs. You know, I mean, that's the first thing when you look at Austrian economics, what they teach you. There is an opportunity cost to everything. You can't do everything at the same time because otherwise you would be God or something, you know, but that's inherently to us humans. And so we always have to make trade-offs, you know, and you can have one thing, but maybe not the other thing. And then, yeah, and, and, and where I see Bitcoin coming into this, it maybe makes things a little bit more honest, you know, because nowadays, I mean, uh, you don't sometimes have to make trade-offs because somebody else does it for you, maybe uh, because they're forced, you know, when it comes to money. 
inflation and stuff. You know, you don't have to make the trade-offs, but somebody uh, somebody else is maybe losing their purchasing power or something like that. You know, but with Bitcoin, there's more honesty. There's more honesty introduced into the system, and that's also why I then like this. But still, with Bitcoin, there are trade-offs. You know, not everything is just going to be fine. Yeah. Mm. So if we now look at um, like the generation slightly sitting above you, my kind of age, like 43 years of age, uh, anywhere between like 40 to 60, um, pre-recording, you were, you were talking about you doing some work for an asset management firm uh, around um, writing articles and education about Bitcoin. I find this fascinating because my generation, if I was Swiss, 43 years of age, living in Switzerland, I've known... I live in a country that has widely regarded the best banking system in the world, widely regarded as um, uh, some of the best security uh, around um, gold and uh, the vaults and um, a, a big, big history with gold. And also Swiss, right up until 2011, that used to be a, um, you know, a safe haven currency before um, um, it was pegged. Um, or lifted the peg, whatever they did. I can't remember exactly. But how do you go around getting through? I mean, those are three tough barriers to break down on a fixed mindset, on a narrative that's been with them their whole life. Asset fund managers trying to diversify their, you know, the good ones that are understanding that Bitcoin is non-correlated, which very, very few people do. Mm. How are they going around like the education? Because I think that's going to be a real uphill battle or not i would like to hear your thoughts no i think it it, it is at some like it, it certainly is um i mean again switzerland has this this uh, culture of uh, like a currency that was packed to gold you know and and just like a, a government that's uh, physically physically responsible and stuff so there the people can understand that maybe not messing around with money too much is 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 uh, really important because otherwise things are going to go bananas and uh, yeah i mean you're going to end up like venezuela in no time you know to to say it like that you know so these people understand this but then at the same time because switzerland has been so great you know in being physically or physically responsible you know in in having their currency packed to gold and also the smb which is regarded as a really great national bank you know is doing the the, the right things you know there you really um, hit hit or yeah you're fighting an uphill battle you know that, that people then say okay why do i need bitcoin you know i'm just I'm just so, um, yeah, well off. I don't really need it. And then, yeah, I often talk to these people and, and what, what I try to tell them is that, okay, yeah, um, that's certainly true. I also, my mom, you know, people that are maybe your age or even a little older, you know, they're, they're, they're yeah, having saved, uh, had a really great bull market for the last 40 years, maybe when it comes to equities and stuff, you know, so they're, their pensions uh, have also amassed a lot of wealth, you know, so they're really... Uh, they see no imminent uh, need to have Bitcoin. But then still, I mean, when I do the study, you know, uh, I, I just kind of, uh, or the study of history, what I kind of come, come across is that, uh, like, or that's, that's a figure that I still have to prove definitely, but I think it's kind of accurate so that maybe once in your lifetime, every 70 years or something, you might lose uh, like up to 50, 60% of your wealth, you know, because it's just devalued. You know, if you go back in Germany, these people know it a lot better. 
but also in Switzerland, you know, there's been problems, you know, because with, with currency wars and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, so this is why I then would tell them, okay, um, having all your eggs in one bag, you know, is maybe not the right approach, you know, just like having a job uh, that gives you Swiss francs, having a pension that is all invested into Swiss government bonds, you know, having your your house, your real estate that is also valued in Swiss franc. Everything is in Swiss franc. And although the Swiss franc might be still a really good uh, currency, you never know what's going to happen, you know. I mean, it's just... Uh, for me, if you want to stay humble and you want to, uh, you want to st- also uh, like recognize the fact that the world is just too complex and it can change uh, by the minute, if you will, you know, because things can be like this. But then uh, the other day, it just has changed, as we now have seen maybe with the COVID. You know, things can really uh, be turned upside down. Then I would tell them, dude, you you have to diversify at least a little bit, and also don't also not only think about yourself. You know, think about your your kids, about uh, all the people that are coming after you. You know, in your in your lineage, because you maybe want to give something to them as well, and they still have eight years in front of them. And then if there's so much more years in front of them, it's obvious that there's going to be another dis- uh, like disruption, you know, that maybe money becomes worthless. So you also want to think about that. So already maybe take some of your wealth that you amassed and put it into something, into the new assets that uh, that are coming along and the future assets you know and if we do this they say okay that's that's kind of okay yeah you're you're right you're right Uh, kids is a good argument and then uh yeah we already did this a couple of times so then people actually started to diversify and get a little bit of bitcoin if it was only one or two percent but at least uh yeah they started to diversify it's funny you bring that up because there's uh and and boomers if you're listening if if you've got any boomer listeners um there is a narrative in that in that generation that um, well in the UK it has an acronym. Uh, we're going on a ski holiday, but the ski stands for spend kids inheritance, mm-hmm. right? And you know they joke about it and it's funny and whatever else. But the reason they're saying that is because they've been programmed to realize that money is at the end of the day going down, down, down. They can't spend it quick enough. They've amassed it, but now they can't spend it quick enough because they feel as though they've given up so much in the past to have got there and have got where they are that they're foregoing the future. Uh, mm. You know, a, an alarming rate when, like you said, just one or two percent just mm. stacked away into some Bitcoin, which you might never ever use or never ever see or never ever have to use, but that's fine. Because the people coming behind you, it's going to, I mean, just one coin, right? Mm -hmm. How much difference could that make to like generations? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think it could potentially do a lot, uh, a great difference, you know, because it's something that we maybe uh, cannot think of now because, you know, we're not used to this exponential way of thinking that the world really, really... um, yeah, implies you need to think exponentially. It's ever, it's always been like that, you know. And now with technology and everything, exponential thinking has even accelerated because so many more things that have become 
uh, exponential, you know, but it was already back in the industrialization. In the, you know, when this all started, I mean, you saw a couple of uh, firms uh, like approaching, you know, a, bar, a couple of chimneys and people were like, okay, what's going on here? But maybe we don't have to take it serious. And then at, at, at one point, this whole exponential curve actually started going exponential and then you saw only chimneys you know and 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 everything was like polluted and people were like oh my god what's happening here now and they were really going against manchester capitalism and, and all these things you know from the uk so it was this reaction because they uh, really didn't understand what's happening now so fast you know and i think with bitcoin and the internet we've already seen this uh, it's happening as well you know and and so the the, the sooner uh, you're in this, you know, the better you might be prepared when this whole, uh, whole thing really goes exponential. And then again, yeah, I think it's it's really a good way also today, you know, uh, I would argue that so many, I mean, you probably discussed this whole concept with Seyfedin, you know, when it comes to time preference, you know, but I mean, uh, today our world is really, really encouraged uh, and also incentivized not really to to think about the future and, and really, you know, store up and, and, and really have a low time preference. So if you try to go against this and Bitcoin is an, is an obvious good tool to really do this, then uh, I think it also does the world a great service if you stick to this and, and show a little lower time preference, because as again, as we said, your kids will, will probably be happy and be thankful for this. Yeah. Hmm. Yes, certainly. Well, let's talk about Switzerland then. And um, Crypto Valley, is that, have I got the name correct? Is that what it's being dubbed? Yeah, um, yeah. But a, a specific area of Switzerland, what's the... what's the Zug, yeah. It's, uh, it's been developing in Zug. Uh, it's mm. a really beautiful place with a lake, with mountains. It's in the, in the inner part of Switzerland, yeah. Uh, so it's called Zug, the Crypto Valley of Zug. And... How much infrastructure was already there? I mean, was this already uh, like a kind of thriving canton with um, financial services industries or what was... Yeah, I mean, Zug and uh, the other canton is called Schwyz. There are two cantons in Switzerland where are just like insanely low taxes, you know, uh, also taxes on dividends and, and like like so much like financial benefits, if you want to call them, uh, are offered in these cantons. So there's always like all the big names, you know, uh, many uh, actors from around the world, you know, Roger Federer and all these people. I think they're somehow related to these cantons. I mean, because they're living there or at least have their name written down on a paper there so that they don't really pay that much taxes, you know. So this is really about Schweiz and, and Zug. So this is also what then maybe attracted people in the front. And I actually talked to some of them, you know, I mean, uh, founder of Cardano, Charles Hodkinson, I think, who also co-founded Ethereum with, with Talig and, and, and then Nicholas Nikolaisen, which is a, is a Danish uh, Bitcoiner who found Bitcoin Swiss, now one of the biggest crypto banks in Switzerland, you know, and, and uh, Johan Gevers, who is from South Africa and also founded a crypto company really early on, you know, these were all people coming from outside, you know, and, and, and they discovered that, I mean, uh, Zug is the place in Switzerland, which is probably the most Swiss, the most Swiss, you know, because it's, it's low taxes. It's really decentralized, uh, municipality and stuff. So that's why they settled there. And, uh, yeah, I think, uh, this certainly played a role. And then again, there was already, because there was this, uh, thriving entrepreneurial, um, 
thing going on in Zoog. I mean, it just fit well with, with the crypto sphere that also wants to really push entrepreneurial boundaries further, you know? So yeah, you had this great mix, I would argue, of uh, mindset as well as good um, yeah, um, incentives provided by the government. Right. And, and with that, I mean, that's, I mean, it sounds awesome. I'm sure there's many entrepreneurs out there thinking, hmm, all right, I'm going to go build out in Zoog. Um, but again, if like looking at the other side of the coin, that must be, that must bring some bad actors in as well. Um, you know, like the, the scams that we, we saw, you know, like 2017, the ICO craze and any of that, were any of those kind of like hanging out there and did you get to witness any of, um, any, any kind of craziness? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, there certainly were. And uh, I mean, uh, also some of the big scams. I don't know if you have heard of OneCoin and these kind of things. You know, I mean, they were popular in the UK, I think, as well. And then all around the world. I mean, uh, going from conference to conference, especially back in 2017, yes, I met some of these people, you know, they're coming out with their business cards, trying to connect and stuff. But I mean, yeah, I myself, I was already a little uh, like cautious, so I, I didn't really uh, went, went further or any further with them, you know, and going down their their path. So I can't really tell. But obvious, yeah, it's always like that, you know. Um, um, obviously, um, you have the bad actors, you know. I probably would would be inclined to say that uh, it's not so much about the bad actors, or there's not that many bad actors. It's just people. You're trying to go along, you know, with all the hype that's been created and they're trying to also launch their company and then they're not really scamming, you know, but they're just making something that maybe if you would look at it from a rational perspective, you would have to come to the conclusion, well, this actually maybe doesn't make sense, you know, because it doesn't need a blockchain or something or or uh, because, um, yeah, it can be built on Bitcoin or maybe Ethereum a lot better. So you don't really have to do this this way or you would be uh, really um, harbored somewhere else. Uh, yeah, or better harbored somewhere else. So, yeah, sure. I mean, um, this is certainly the case uh, with uh, with companies, I would say. But uh, still, I mean, that's just how startups today probably work, you know, in so many fields, not only in the blockchain space, uh, uh, sphere, I would argue, you know, because, I mean... Um, and it's also what I've been hearing again, uh, having my head as an asset manager on, you know, when I talk to other people uh, like private equity investors and, and all these people, they're sometimes telling me, you know, we have so much cash on our sideline, you know, and we don't really know where to invest, you know, and that's also uh, maybe one of our paradoxes today, you know, money is being uh Money is getting crappier ever more, but it's also getting, uh, it's also flushing around in ever greater quantities. You know, so many people have money, have huge war chests, and they don't really know where to invest because the yields are just going down and they're just desperately looking for something to still invest, you know. I mean, it was Warren Buffett who a couple of weeks ago told that if somebody came up to him with a project, uh, that's good. He would have $60 billion to invest right away, you know, and you're like, okay, that's crazy, you know. And I think we in Switzerland also have these entrepreneurs that are really looking for something. And then, yeah, I mean, uh, then you're obviously trying to um, start your own incubator and, and have these programs. And and I think there's lots of, uh, yeah, we can call it BS that's going along with this, you know, maybe 
nine out of 10 fail. But again, I mean, that's just how the state of, of things is today. And I'm still confident that maybe out of the tens or maybe out of the hundreds, one will emerge that will maybe change the world again, you know. And that's also what we're confident in Switzerland, you know, that maybe something will come out of Switzerland that may be, yeah, changing the world. Um, yeah, and I, I think we do have some really interesting companies, you know, that are building on Bitcoin, trying to really establish uh, this ecosystem further. Also some interesting companies that are trying to look more, uh, at the Ethereum side of things, which I find interesting as well. And so, yeah, I think um, with all the bad things that are happening or maybe all the rubbish, there's probably something good coming out of this as well. Yeah. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Um, big push and a big shout out for all the companies that are doing um, like the dollar cost averaging um, kind of uh, companies that are being built. I think that yeah. is key, right? We, we have one, exactly. We now also have one in Switzerland. It's actually not from the Crypto Valley, but it's called Relay. And uh, yeah, they're exactly, yeah, they, they are now really trying to launch this as well, you know? And this was actually kind of bad because then I saw so many uh, companies getting money, you know, and these guys, they didn't get any, you know, and I was like so disappointed. But then this also dawned on me again that it's all about, it's becoming ever more about politics, you know, as you have to have the right network, the right connections, and, and then you're getting the money. And if not, if you're just like an interesting guy, uh, maybe an ex-student or something who has found something, it's kind of hard. So, yeah, this is also something that I maybe don't really like, you know, that it's coming more politicized and more really about your access that you need to get the money and not about the idea that you're actually having, you know. Yeah. And so what's the name of that company? So anybody, is it just Swiss-based only company? Uh, it's, I think it's a Swiss-based only company. It's it's a friend of mine who started it. They have some other uh, developers, I think, out of Belgium. But uh, yeah, it's called Relay. R-E-L-I-A-I. Yeah, that's called Relay. Relay. Okay. Yeah. And that's um, Bitcoin dollar cost average service. Yeah, exactly. They they are starting this now with the whole bitter thing, get bitter that's being closed mm. down. There was uh, much uh, discussion going on on Twitter and they, they said they will probably be launching uh, quite soon and then offering the servicing. Service out of Switzerland. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna actually have Ruben on the show and, and talk to him about what happened with Bitter because um yeah. you know it's it's such a shame. It's bitter, yeah. <laughs> it, it really is bitter. It's a real kick. Um yeah, it, it, I think definitely the, these kind of these kind of businesses are going to do uh, really well over the next. Um, yeah, I think uh, two it's years. Really, like, yeah, you know, number go up draws people in. We know this, right? Yeah, I was kind of impressed to find that only this started like only a few few months or years ago. I mean, now I also know, as I mentioned, Bitcoin Swiss. You know. Uh, the great crypto banking um, player that we have, they now also want to have such an offering, you know, where you can just dollar cost average Bitcoin or or Swiss francs or whatever into Bitcoin. And I mean, I think more and more people are actually looking at this because, yeah, it's just, it's. I think this is really a great use case. And this is also what's been sticking, you know, with people when I was explaining Bitcoin as a global piggy bank, everybody can access, can have access and can have 
also maybe draw out liquidity for whenever it is needed. And because it's a global biggie bank, you can kind of support each other from all over the world, you know, because when I uh, pay money into Bitcoin, it might at the margin push up the price, you know, and maybe at some point there is a person in Venezuela that can then cash out and maybe live another day and fight another day, you know? So I'm actually even doing a humanitarian thing, one could argue, you know? But I think this is really what, what, what Bitcoin is at today's stage. I think it's probably growing into more, you know, into a whole financial system. But nowadays, its major use case, I would argue, is really this global piggy bank, accessible and, and, and uh, to everyone, global, neutral, and you can just uh, be part of this, you know? And uh, this is also then really enticing, you know? If, if you know it's a piggy bank that you put in money every every month to put in a little bit and because this piggy bank is just finite you know nobody is going to mess with that it will just amass you know uh, with a long enough uh, time horizon you will probably be better off and i think that's a really easy narrative but that's sticking with so many people and this is why i also think bitcoin is bound to grow you know because just just because of this uh, narrative you know or this idea I, you know, watch the tsunami of hodlers that are created out of dollar cost averaging. I, I think mm -hmm. there's, I think there's a whole new floor being built around the price of Bitcoin. Um, and then, you know, speaking of, um, with the guys over at Swan, they're just seeing record signups every day, pretty much, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, there's the need and, mm -hmm. you know, just, just watch what happens. Cause I think it's going to go, I think it, Honestly, I think it's going to go crazy. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe just to come back to what we said about millennials, I think then there's again the millennials, you know, yeah. I mean, who are baby. This is where they're drawn to this, you know, because then if it's with an easy app, you know, and I mean, uh, with Bitcoin, you can argue the whole the, the Hound Foundation at least is found a sound, you know, and then if the app is maybe just an easy thing, yeah, why not? I mean, that's how the world works and you maybe have to go for this trade-off again, you know, but there I think is, is also why people and then millennials will be a, 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 like uh, really, uh, how would I say, attracted, you know, because I mean, that's what I, I'm now also in this uh, state uh, of my life where my wife and, and I, we are looking for a house, you know, we're trying to settle maybe and, and then we're looking around and we see there's nothing on the market and everything is so so like hugely expensive you know and then uh, yeah i mean you're just uh, looking at yourself hey where can i still invest uh, and, and on a decent level you know and and I'm, with bitcoin i mean you're there already it is already maybe almost a uh, $10,000 uh, coin but if you think about it how there's still so much upside i mean yeah you're saying okay i'll rather put some bitcoin uh, some money into bitcoin than buying another house, you know, which has not that great of an upside potential. Yeah. So this is maybe something that will also stick. Opportunity cost again, right? It, yeah. It, like, you know, people think, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, bricks and mortar, that's our, our safest thing. Um, once you own it, it's yours. Nobody can take it away. Never really the case if you're, you know, with a mortgage. Um, I, I think people underestimate that. Um, mm. And then, you know, how much is a lawyer bill? A couple of grand how much is the moving like you know 800 euros whatever um how much is the first round of tax how much is the the um well here in in france for example there's two 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 different taxes you have to pay for owning a house it's a lot of sats you're giving up right yes yes <laughs> yeah 
that's the way I view it. And um, it's yeah, for, for like honestly, you pay that you pay that money for a, a lot of it, um, like the administrative BS. Like um, I think here in France they have the notaire system. So when you buy a house, X amount of percent of the sale of the house goes to the notaire for looking after the transaction. And I mean, this could be in the, this could be anywhere yeah. between 10 to 40,000 euros. And that's a check. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that's something again about, uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you. And I mean, it's uh, economic theory would really predict this, at least economic theory, according to the Austrians, you know, because once you have something like a house, you know, which is so immobile and which is so really needed because people just need to have some shelter, you know, then, I mean, this attracts all the rent seekers, you know, and then again, if you have like a centralized government that you can appeal to and tell them which, uh, uh, why people need now a notaire that is uh, going after all this stuff and then you can kind of uh, put some arguments to it, I mean, then immediately you will have like uh, so many extra costs that need to be paid. And if you then look at it from a rational point of view, you're arguing like, or you're thinking, dude, that's, that's all just uh, BS as you now described it, you know, but I mean, that's, that's just how it is. And again, I hope really that this is not going to be the case or with Bitcoin, or at least not that much because Bitcoin will always maybe uh, continue to have this, you know, this, um, yeah, this era of, of the alternative, of the era of the untouchable. And then, and then I think it's also interesting because then Bitcoin would stay true to its, to its original, like intent, you know, and that's what I would like it to, to, to be, you know, because there, I think it's the purest and the best. So, but we'll see, I mean, yeah, where, where, where it will take us. We're in for some wild rides. Um, you know, uh, we, we've just had the halving. Um, we, we feel a lot of um, a lot of pressure to the upside. There's more and more uh, financial services at play. Um, you know, we didn't have a, a really open derivatives market back in 2017. Now we have futures market, and these guys are trading on leverage, lots of leverage, and that is going to swing the price faster and harder than than any of us have ever experienced before. And yeah, hold on to your pants, I think is the message for the next two years. Yeah, 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 it's true. I think it's, it's truly going to be wild, you know. I mean, this is also, I just prepared an article now, you know, where I, where like many people now, again, they were really wondering about, you know, what's going on in financial markets. You know, you saw like, like the S&P and everything going up while like you had unemployment rates also skyrocketing and people were, were saying or telling me, does this make any sense? You know, I mean, uh, just all really uh, so nonsensical, you know, and I think uh, what there many people don't, don't really understand is that i mean these things uh, cause and effect they don't uh, like immediately happen you know maybe sometimes now the foundation for things happening in in the future is lay you know with quantitative easing that is uh, like uh, done in in quantities uh, never done before and now you had the bitcoin happening where actually kind of the opposite happens you know and all these things they will have consequences in into the future you know maybe not immediate but i think uh, uh, yeah in the next two to three to four years and this is why i think it's going to be so interesting and, and also looking at it uh, as someone holding bitcoin i mean this just gives you a little bit more 
more confidence that things are going to turn out well for you, you know, because uh, when you think about it, it's just so crystal clear that uh, it will go down this this uh, way, you know. And then again, just always I have to tell myself, well, the world is uh, more complex than I can ever imagine. So maybe, yeah, I, I might miss something, but still, at least I also want to stick to something, you know, that I can hold on to. So, and, and, and when it comes to financial, it is certainly Bitcoin, you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, what was it, five weeks ago? Let me just check. It was probably a month ago where um, we went um, negative territory for for an oil um, contract yeah, to settle, right? right? WTI mm-hmm. in the States. We are nowhere near, like that doesn't just happen and then we go back to normal pricing, right? <laughs> we have no idea what's got to be shaken out of the pipeline to use that kind of pun of <laughs> that that day that happened like four or five weeks ago um, and the wild swings in price, the daily wild swings in price in the WTI market up until today, you cannot have a market fluctuate 15% up or down on a daily basis without there being some huge consequences, which we just do not know yet mm-hmm. are around the corner. And none of them do. Like even like the smartest people in these you know, positions of power that are printing as much cash as they can to make sure we're all all right and mailing out checks – <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. Right? Mm. There's going to be something huge coming off of that. Um, so last question then, um, before I ask the, the real last question. You've been seeing all the printing going on in the US. ECB is going to follow suit. Switzerland, you know, you're your own kind of animal over there. What's been the response and what, um, what do you think is going to end up being played out? Is there the same kind of printing going on or what's the... What's the political and economic landscape as far as monetary policy? Yeah, I mean, uh, we're actually just being dragged along with everything else. You know, I mean, as I already said, Switzerland is known for being a little more cautious, you know, and fiscally responsible. And and we're trying to stick to it. But I mean, still, I mean, we're part of the game, you know, we're we're having a central bank and they and they have to play the, the, the game as well, you know. And so what we're seeing is that now with COVID, I mean, it was more like the state, the government that intervened heavily, you know by just uh, giving out like credit agreements or, or saying that they will uh, collateralize everything and uh, to up to 100%, you know, and, and then the banks can just go out and give credits to all kinds of people, you know, who, who were in need of, of, of fast liquidity, you know, so we're, we're seeing this and I think this is going to be kind of tough, you know, because I think I, I know from experience and from myself, from my from my friends and surroundings that uh, people got uh, to get or have taken these credits uh, uh, or these loans that maybe shouldn't have, you know, and uh, they're just uh, trying to take it, um, yeah, um, to take advantage of it. And then they maybe will never be able to pay it back. So this will certainly also have an effect. And then when it comes to the central bank, I mean, uh, what, what is so special about Switzerland is that 
the SMB is actually one of the biggest headphones of, of all time, you know, because what we are doing is that we're, we're trying to devalue the Swiss franc because many people still see it as a safe haven. And this is also why I hope for Bitcoin, you know, that Bitcoin comes, becomes established more as a safe haven and that outside investor, they can flee into Bitcoin and they don't have to take the Swiss franc, you know, because we're, we're actually, we, we as Swiss, you know, we are, we are actually, um, how would I say, um, yeah, we are the ones not benefiting from this. You know, maybe it's the export sector that is benefiting when your con- currency is devalued, but all the other people, the savers, you know, the ones that want to spend their currency uh, outside of Switzerland, they are uh, they are the ones that need to pay, you know. And so, um, yeah, I also ask myself, where are we going with this? You know, now that uh, SMB just uh, now, a couple of weeks ago, they because they were holders of, of, of a lot of equities, you know, especially Facebook, Amazon, um, uh, Apple and these stocks, you know, when these stocks went down a couple of percent, I mean, uh, that was a huge loss in, in, in SMB's uh, balance sheet. So in order to make up for it, they just printed a whole lot of more Swiss francs to buy more stocks to even out what they had before, you know. <laughs> and uh, so now they're just having more of the same uh, and even more equities uh, of Apple, Facebook and, and, and all the S&P. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know where this leads, you know, because, uh, I mean, so this way the Swiss national economy, depending on the Swiss franc, again, the S&P, depending on all the stocks not to go down in the global financial market. So, it's all it, it becomes ever more complex and there's just little tiny little tiny uh, triggers that can be pulled and then maybe the whole card just comes tumbling down and you try to intervene again and just make things worse after all so as again as a millennial as a person who tries trying to look at this you're looking at this and you're just asking yourself okay where is this going to end you know and again, looking for alternatives. And uh, so I would argue we in Switzerland, we still, yeah, we have it maybe compared to other countries. We are better off, but I wouldn't argue that we're just uh, safe in a safe bubble and nothing can happen to us. You know, maybe Switzerland also with negative interest rates. You know, we're one of the countries uh, with the with the, 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 the lowest or like the, 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 the greatest negative interest rates, you know, going the greatest into the negative territory. And this is also now something that is talking with many people that we're approaching as asset managers because they're saying, again, it's not the words, it's the actual consequences that they are feeling, you know, that they're now getting letters from their banks telling them you will now be charged uh, this and this, you know, because of negative interest rates, because we have to give it along to our customers. And then they're starting asking questions again, okay, how can I, how can I protect, you know, and then maybe Bitcoin again is one of these, um, yeah, alternatives that, that gives you some protection. So, yeah, I don't know where this leads, you know, because, um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not so bullish on Switzerland, maybe as, as some others would be, because I think it's just these consequences, uh, they are dire and they will, uh, they will come home to roost, you know, at some point. I had no idea that they could just, I knew they had assets under management. I had no idea like it was that big, like the biggest hedge fund in the world. And if the biggest hedge fund in the world can just print cash when they need to buy more stock, how is that not insider trading <laughs> in anybody's rule book? 
Yeah, I mean, it is crazy. I mean, they're just arguing, yeah, we have to do this because it's our mandate, you know, and eventually what we're doing, we're going neutral into the market, you know, we're, we're just buying ETFs maybe at the end of the day, you know, it's all passively passively managed but i mean still i mean it's just yeah it's 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 uh, i mean that's also then when i you know see people complaining about amazon apple facebook all these giant companies and they're saying wow they're so giant and they're they're having a, a great influence on us you know and I, I i would certainly agree you know they are gigantic you know and ginormous companies because they also maybe in the market are are uh, have have built something that people are now valuing and this is why they're grown so big but at the same time i would argue they're also so big because of monetary interventions because of monetary distortions and that's that's maybe something people don't see you know so when you criticize google uh, you want to maybe criticize also the the central banks and the governments who are behind the monetary distortions who then fed uh, the valuations of all these companies, you know, because in the end it's Amazon uh, propping up uh, the value of, of, of Apple and Amazon. So yeah, it's it's our money monetary system that has gone, yeah, crazy. And uh, I, I think that that's, that's really what makes me like not not angry, but that, 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 that where I'm disappointed disappointed the most, you know, where people just. Uh, they're uh, slashing or dashing around with all this uh, criticism. And, and I think, dude, uh, maybe take a look at the actual thing beneath it all, you know, which is money. And there we come back to the conspiracy theorists, you know, when I then say, take a look at money because, uh, you know, money, uh, that's a quote that I have in my book as well. Um, money reigns the world, you know, uh, but who reigns over money, you know, is a question you also need to ask, you know, and that's what so many people don't do. And then they don't really, yeah, when you once, when you say many things can be uh, traced back to, to the money intervention, to money socialism that we, monetary socialism that we have today, they then again call you a conspiracy theorist. And uh, that's kind of sad after all, yeah. Yeah, and it's a great point because you know we we are to so everyone we're so quick to jump on the bandwagon. It's just like a one minute story, mainstream media, news at ten, whatever you're watching, Amazon, Google, Facebook, whoever, Apple, Dodge tax um, to the tune of ten billion dollars, two thousand nineteen, whatever. And it's like, oh, those you know, I have to pay my tax. I'm a good citizen. Why should they get away with it? Blah blah blah. That you know, I'm the platforming and never going to buy their products i'm never going to use their service which are all very very good but the, po <laughs> the question is who put the loophole in place in the first place for them to legally use you know that that's the crux of yeah. the problem and yeah yeah. Why was it put there and who was it serving at that point? And, and, and why do they even have that much money, you know, that they can dodge taxes with? You know, I mean, again, it, it, it's not all about monetary distortions. But again, that I mean, that money is also fed to people, to these companies by investors who don't know where to invest, you know, because there's just too much money. And then at some point, if you have such a huge watershed as Apple has and as Google has uh, their great opportunity cost of just leaving that money in a bank vault. So you have to bring it outside into the world and invest it somewhere. And then again, people are just um, 
um, like uh, and, and uh, outrage when these companies then just um, go about trying to efficiently allocate their capital by by also trying to like um, you know save taxes. So I mean, I can see both. Uh, arguments again, but usually uh, only one argument is made and level against all these big players and not the, the monetary one, the monetary perspective that is just left out of the picture, you know. And I think you have to understand both to really like thoroughly criticize the whole thing, you know. How far, hypothetical question for you, um, because you're close with asset management firms, um, you understand Bitcoin and you understand how this thing is shaping up. Um how far away are we from the SMB hiring somebody from one of these asset management firms that have been diversifying into Bitcoin because they understand it and are now working at SMB and convince the board, you've got to go along Bitcoin? Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really interesting question. I mean, uh, it was kind of interesting that maybe as an anecdote, uh, we're probably the only country in the world where actual Bitcoin maximalists were having lectures over at the SMB, you know? So like the SMB organized like uh, lectures of, of people uh, explaining Bitcoin and it was actually these really hardcore Bitcoiners out of the Swiss Bitcoins tier from the Bitcoin Switzerland Association, you know, that were called up on stage and they were actually talking to all these SMB economists and bankers and trying to explain uh, to them Bitcoin. So this is really ironic, you know, and, and, and I think this also shows to me that, you know, these central banks, they're not dumb. They're looking at all these things, you know, um, I mean, it's been said so many times, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some smaller central banks or just uh, are already doing something secretly, you know, because, uh, yeah, you never know. I mean, the incentives are just so strong, you know, to do something, you know, so at least we can only speculate. But I think uh, this is where I also think where Bitcoin is going, you know, eventually uh, it will be this macro global geopolitical force, you know, that will be really competing against different currencies as it is already today, but it will compete against these in a more established way where maybe even central banks will then start holding some of the Bitcoin in their reserves to really, as they're already doing with gold, you know, that, that, that this kind of also shows that some central banks are just, yeah, they're, they're fed up with what is happening and also are really anxious, you know, that things could go uh, down the, the drain, you know. So maybe, yeah, we can only speculate, but I think incentives are so strong that these central banks will look at it and maybe at some point they will, will yeah, tip their toes into, into this thing. That would be, and it comes back to Phil Bonello again because he wrote about the prisoner's um, yeah. dilemma, the game theory dilemma. over this. And um, once somebody just, it's not hard, right? There's many of us that have figured this out already. Like, the, you know, the, the pieces of the puzzle that click into place are scarcity, liquidity, and the non-correlation. Mm -hmm. And once, you know, money managers figure that out, I truly understand. Like, you know, I had Mark Hughes go on the show and he was calling it, you know, like his aha moment was the non-correlation effect. He's like, oh my God. Like this is, you know, he's been doing this for God knows how many years. And this is, this is it. This is the trade of this, like nothing else matters. Um, it's only a matter of time. All right. Okay. Let's round it out uh, with the usual closing question. If there was one person that you could implant your knowledge of Bitcoin into and have them go and share that with their audience, 
who would that person be and why? Hmm. Who would that person be? It's kind of, kind of tricky question. I mean, yeah, it would probably be, have to be someone influential, you know, but hmm, who would, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a hard, I've never really asked myself this, this question, you know, because as I said, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I would probably see some, someone with a with a great reach, you know, that can really just talk uh, about Bitcoin, you know, and mention it, you know, as the whole thing with J.K. Rowling, you know, I think many people were complaining about this and, oh, Bitcoin totally messed up and they weren't able to explain it. As I already said during the podcast, I'm not giving that much uh, weight to words, you know, I mean, uh, about words that actually explain something. I'm more of the belief that at least it's mentioned and then people have heard of it and it might and resonate with them once they the time is ripe and they themselves then really come up to the thing because uh, they've already heard to it so yeah i mean it could be trump it could be miley cyrus it could be kim kardashian just all these people that have this really great um influence you know and then i mean some of them have already talked about bitcoin so the more people hear, hear about it and it's probably because these have a great influence you know so, I mean, yeah, I can also, I mean, um, it was also with J.K. Rowling where Elon Musk, you know, he, you might have seen it, you know, he was actually making this argument that we're now also talking about. So that's insane. You know, I, I, I mean, so many people have already heard of Bitcoin. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Well, maybe maybe some of these people, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a nice list, and it was fun to watch that thing on um, on Twitter with J.K. Rowling and, and Elon Musk. Uh, I was really enjoying that. That was uh, there was a lot of um, good banter going on. Um, but at the you know the underlying point, which has something like 15 million followers, and mm-hmm. you know Elon, what does he have? Like at least a million. That's 16 million eyeballs potentially seeing these tweets right and that's Mm -hmm. crypto twitter couldn't even beg for that kind of like it's just not if you added everybody up on crypto twitter i don't think you even scratched the surface of of that so yeah yeah that's that's true yeah no i mean eventually it's a really hard question i think just the more people uh yeah get to know this the the better also in countries that they might know know of that you know i don't know for example i but i'm also uh, keep on asking me how how are things going in north korea you know and in countries like that where where like maybe media and everything is so controlled you know and 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 there maybe you you won't hear any of that stuff that we're talking about and maybe it would also be good if an influential person over there you know just uh, kind of leaked something about Bitcoin and people would actually start knowing about that because these are also the people who are in uh, are really in the need of these technologies, you know? So, yeah, this would probably also something if I could wave a magic wand that I would want a person over there to really talk about Bitcoin, you know, an influential one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hopefully um, one day they might read one of your articles and uh, <laughs> pick up a copy of your book. So, Pascal... Where can people find you? And um, is there any kind of uh, final comments that you want to leave the listeners with? No, I'm, I'm fine. Thank you very much for, for inviting me. And uh, yeah, it was great to talk about you. Actually, one of the best podcasts I've ever did because uh, 
your questions are so natural, you know, I mean, you really try to engage with the speaker. So, uh, yeah, congrats on that was, was very, very nice. And, uh, well, I mean, uh, one can find me on Twitter at uh, P-A-H-U-E-U-G. Pahweg uh, is my Twitter handle. And I'm also on LinkedIn and, and, and other stuff where you can find me with my normal name. And I'm also every also ha- always happy to talk with people and argue and, and, and really yeah, just discuss things. Because as I said, this is how I will proceed in my own thinking as well so uh, I think I'll leave it with that so thank you very much for having me thank you so much for coming on and spending the time hey everyone thank you so much for listening to today's show with uh, Pascal I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did I was really impressed with you know I think I said it in the show I just get humbled every day every time I speak to someone new and especially the young people like this is a guy that woke up in his early 20s, um, you know, studying economics, ask, just asking a question, like, you know, looking at the whole thing, thinking, is there something else? Is there another side of this? Or is this the only option? And falling into an Austrian economic, like, rabbit hole at the age of 20, 21, whatever he was, and getting deep into that, but then still getting, you know, funnel fed the Keynesian economics at the same time, but being able to like just straddle the two and take notes on either side of it, you know, objectively at such a young age, it's just incredible. Like, you know, what were you doing when you were 2021 at university? I'm guessing partying your asses off and not giving two shits about what your professor was talking about. You just wanted to have the good time, but no, like, and then what he said as well about like uh, the, the way he's thinking, this stood out with me throughout the whole interview, actually, like um, Bitcoin isn't decentralized. Bitcoin is non-centralized. I mean, he's uh, he's taken this, I don't know, am I being naive? Has this already been said before? Maybe it has. Maybe this is something I've missed completely. And if I have, you know, you know, it's it's on me. I, I, I suppose that one sailed past me. But to hear him say it and explain to me, he's like, wow, yeah, that makes 100% sense. It is non-centralized. It's it's beyond decentralized. It, that's another, there's a whole another layer of like, it, I mean, it, it's like nothingness at the core. And it's mind-blowing. That you know somebody um, that young can can come to that conclusion and start writing articles about it and um, and trying to build a, uh, a an entrepreneurial lifestyle for himself around it and um, working for financial magazines and advising asset managers and where do we where does this go now you know and the question I think I posed to him about um, you know how long before we see one of these asset managers that have been diversifying huge amounts of money, clients' money, whether they're family offices or, or private banks or, or hedge funds or, you know, w- whatever you want to call them, into Bitcoin already and he gets hired by SMB and rocks up there and like, huh, you guys have nothing in Bitcoin? What, are you crazy? How many years away away from that happening? This is like, and and then we're at next level stuff. So, Yeah. And and that you know just two points we talked about we talked about so much but um and you know again like uh, right at the beginning of the conversation 
it's not millennials that are going to drive this. You know, this is, you know, it's not ready for millennials yet. We're, we're too impatient. We just want click, 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 and this is too clunky. You know, I, I'd been guilty of saying things along the lines of, you know, this is ready for our kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, and he, but he's he's looking at it from the other side and saying, no, it's not ready. These kids, they're used to immediate gratification. Ask them to write down 12 to 24 words on a piece of paper. You've lost them. <laughs> you've completely lost them. And that's really interesting. Uh, you know, this is something to take, to use the pun, it's something to take note of. If you're building stuff out, like, you know, remember that. Remember what these young guys are saying, what they're telling us. Uh, listen to the market. Um, it's really, um, yeah, like I say, I'm always humbled speaking to these guys. Um, you know, I'm very lucky to do what I do. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, make sure you go and check out uh, coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten if you um, want to start your journey with uh, stacking some sats. This is the company to use. They're 100% proof of reserves. They're Bitcoin only. Obi's been on the show. Go check him out. Listen to his f- interview first. It's almost two hours. Um, you know, he's fully on message. Um, and they're all about building out education as well, as are the guys. <clears throat> excuse me. Still got a hay fever problem. As are the guys at um, Swan, Corey and Yan have both been on the show. Go find their interview and head over to uh, swanbitcoin.com forward slash once bitten to start your US dollar journey um, into Bitcoin. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you um, you reach out. Uh, always happy to hear some feedback. Stay safe. Take care.